Greetings, all you readers out there. You are now joining us for KZMU Radio Book Club every first Monday of the month at 5 p.m. And I am one of your hosts, Sherry, coming in from Back of Beyond Bookstore. And today, like always, we've got Jesse from the library. Hello, Jesse. Good evening, everyone. And we have a special new uh, guest with us today, someone who joined us at Back of Beyond very recently and is now on staff there, Sam Van Wetter. Hello, Sam. Hi, everyone. Hello. Oh, are you, are you doing okay with your microphone there? I'm doing all right. Just okay. Adjustment. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's fun to have Sam here. Uh, Sam, how long have you been at the bookstore? I'm fresh to Back Beyond Bookstore. I've yes. been there for about three months now. Nice. And can you give us a little two-second or maybe two-minute <laughs> intro to your relationship to books? When did it start? <laughs> oh, I've, I've, uh, I've <laughs> known books as long as I've been alive. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I've been an avid reader all my life. I'm a writer, too. And cool. Books are objects I return to to go on new journeys, learn yes. new things, yeah, and meet new people. We're happy to have you here. Thanks. Excited to have you join in uh, the conversation. So hopefully we've got some some listeners who are sitting there with their pen and paper. We tend to give you a nice little barrage of titles. And so I think those that listen regularly know that they've got to kind of get ready because we end up talking about quite a few books in this hour. And if you actually want to find what we are talking about later, the two-week archive is immediately available at kzmu.org, the program tab, and then the program schedule. Of course, we are the radio book club. And then the forever archive, available on Friday afternoon, the Friday after we do the book club, is on kzmu.org. And I think I've got something was just playing in the background there. <laughs> I can imagine some of the managers are like, ah, turn that off, which I did. So, um, And so the Forever ar- Archive is kzmu.org, News, Public Affairs tab, Radio Book Club. And then, of course, we are now a podcast going out on all your podcast platforms and that you can actually uh, just search Apple Podcasts or Spotify for public affairs on KZMU. So once again, we're excited to be here and and usually with our uh, with our schedule, we end up kind of starting with news from the library, news from the bookstore. So I think we'll just go ahead and start with Jesse and why don't you give us Whatever news is coming out of the library right now. All right. Well, my um, most exciting piece of news um, is that the uh, Moab's Pandemic Scrapbook is now live. Um, Some of you have heard me talking about it in the past months. Um, Over the past few months, the library uh, asked community members to share photographs or writings or drawings or anything that would show how the past year of pandemic living was different for them. Got a really great response from from our community. Um, a lot of people shared uh, you know, photos of observations or things that were different or unusual in the past year. And um, 
a lot of folks found um, that they had a lot more free time for their creative endeavors. And so we have lots of pictures of people's creative projects and writings. Um, it's a great mix. And um, I look forward to, um, to everybody getting a chance to check it out. There's a number of ways to find it. If you go to the library's website, which is moablibrary.org, um, and if you go to our uh, events tab, you'll see uh, several links to get to the scrapbook that way. Additionally, right on the front page, there's a sort of a slideshow, and one of those tiles is a, also a link to Moab's pandemic scrapbook. Um, if anybody's got a pen handy, I can give you, um, give you a little shortcut right now. If you type in tinyurl.com <laughs> forward slash Moab's Moab Scrapbook, uh, that's just one S, Moab Scrapbook, um, you, it'll take you right to it. So again, that's tinyurl.com forward slash Moab Scrapbook. Um, and uh, if you can't find it at all, give us a call and we will direct you there. I'm very pleased. My um, coworker, Christina, was, a, was my partner on this project and she did an amazing job. Um, she has a lot of awesome graphics skills that um, helped look, make it look really great. So excited about that project. Thank you everyone that uh, contributed and helped make it good. We are also looking forward to showing a free outdoor movie this month on Thursday, May 20th, about 8 p.m. or as close to <laughs> sundown as we can make it at the Center Street Ball Fields. We're gonna show um, a movie called The Unfinished Fight of Seldom Seen Slight. And um, a Utah filmmaker named Chris Simons put this together um, with the help of Suzette Weisheit. Um, and it's about Ken Slight, who watched the place that he called home, Glen Canyon, on the Colorado River in Utah, slowly drown under the waters of Lake Powell. That loss changed him from an old school conservative into an environmental activist who would do anything to protect the canyons of the American Southwest. He's faced down raging bulldozers from the back of his horse. Monkey wrenched? Maybe, but he'll never tell. He was the inspiration for Seldom Seen Smith in his buddy Ed Abbey's classic book, The Monkey Wrench Game. Now he's in his 90s and he's still fighting for Glen Canyon Dam to be brought down and the, for the Colorado River to run free. Climate change may make that a real possibility. So come see this movie for free um, outside Center Street Ball Fields, Thursday, May 20th, 8 p.m.-ish. And uh, bring your own chair, blanket, whatever you want to sit on. Bring a picnic and uh, be prepared to wear your mask. Um, and uh, that is what we're most excited about right Excellent. now. Excellent. And when will, are we browsing yet open doors at the library? The library is um, currently just staying, uh, we're semi-open. Semi so curbside pickup remains a thing and appointments, brief appointments can be made on weekdays. Um, for half an hour or so visits for computers or browsing. Excellent. And um, we're sort of playing it by ear, see how the, how the numbers go before we can open all the way. Cool. Well, Sam, you and I, we get to kind of talk about the news at the bookstore. Uh, does anything come to mind for you? I'm going to talk about events, but do you have any sense for what might be the news from your perspective uh, at Back of Beyond? Uh, the news from Back of Beyond, from my perspective, <laughs> is that uh, we continue to welcome guests and locals into yep. the store. Yep. Uh, we 
we are getting exciting new titles this spring. Mm-hmm. And we have all sorts of goodies to yes. come and peruse. Lots of fun goodies. We also have two Zoom virtual events coming up. Uh, the first one is called, it's actually a publishing day book launch in a collaboration between Back of Beyond, uh, of course here, between the covers in Telluride and Maria's Bookshop in Durango. We're teaming up as a triumvirate to excitingly um, do, and of course this is virtual, uh, uh, the virtual event for Chasing the Thrill, Obsession, Death, and Glory in America's Most Extraordinary Treasure Hunt by Daniel Barbarisi. Um, of course, you know, this is the Daniel, you know, there, there was this treasure hunt. And you know what? I am forgetting the name of that guy. Forrest Fenn. Forrest, yeah, Forrest Fenn. <laughs> Thank you, my I dear. Love, I love his name. Thank so you, my dear. That's really great. Um, Forrest, actually, Forrest Fenn, he, he ended up uh, doing or putting a cache of or a treasure cache out there in the deserts around south southwest deserts and basically s- said go find it and many people have tried to find this it was actually found last year if i remember right well he published a really a really beautiful poem that uh-huh. was full of was full of the clue geographical clues yeah and so lots of people started down this route uh it was quite uh it was definitely harrowing and a few people even died from trying to find this Daniel Barbarisi, journalist, decided he was going to try. And in the you know, the course of writing this book and finding his way down this path of treasure, he met a lot of interesting characters along the way and even found himself in his own private obsession. <laughs> and so that will be the conversation with Dan- Daniel Barbarisi on Tuesday, May 18th at 6.30 p.m., Mountain Standard Time on Zoom, and we have information for that at backofbeyond.com. Uh, so you can find it on our website. And then on June 3rd, 6.30 p.m., another virtual Zoom event with a book called Desert Chrome, Water, a Woman, and Wild Horses in the West by Catherine Wilder. And that's coming, one of the newer titles from Tory House Press, who we do a lot with, and we're always excited when they've got something they want to promote with us and through us. So again, that is June 3rd, 6.30 p.m., and you will find information for that also on our website, backofbeyond.com, backofbeyondbooksorry.com. All right. So we generally, with our book club, we end up talking about bestsellers, We go (coughs) through and do a lot of different, uh, everybody gets to talk about books they're excited about. But I've kind of been doing an on-the-spot sort of spot (laughs) for my little friends here. Something they don't know is coming. Usually a question or last last time we did a little trivia, which was fun, right, Jesse? Oh, yes. That was was really fun. (laughs) So I've been thinking and having conversations, and this is what I'm thinking about right now on our on-the-spot feature. So I've been thinking about books that I read maybe early, maybe earlier in my life, and then I read that same book five, ten years later, and 
it was A, very different. B, I didn't like it at all. Loved it at the beginning or vice versa. Didn't like it at the beginning and then read it some years later and couldn't believe why I didn't like it. And so my question for both of you is, is there a book that stands out that is sort of like, you know, I read that when I was 18, then tried to read it again when I was 28, and it was, it was terrible. And so the question is not only what's that book, but what changed in you? And, you know, sometimes it's simply just maturity, but what changed in you as you read that book a second time, or maybe even a third time, and had a completely different experience uh, later? And I'll give a couple examples so you can be thinking because this is the spot that is on the spot. Um, I, I remember, I mean, this is just so classic, but when I was 18, I read Ayn Rand, you know. And at 18, that kind of rocked my world. The fountainhead and, you know, so this whole idea of who is John Galt. And, and I really, I even read her plays. Like, I really kind of went down the rabbit hole of Ayn Rand. And then it wasn't that long later, maybe five years, uh, the reread was, it's pretty extraordinary to sort of see that um, there, there, there was this maybe coming of age philosophy, especially for me coming out of the Mormon church. I, it was like this kind of, this idea of sort of the virtue of selfishness, you know, that comes out of the Ayn Rand philosophy that really was like, oh yeah, I need to be a little bit more selfish. And then even just five, six years later, it wasn't that, um, you know, it was, it was more just a, a growing out beyond that idea. And, and then, you know, I didn't really need to read those books anymore and probably wouldn't reread them, you know, down the road. So this, it felt like that was a book of a time when I needed to open a, a more extreme you know, get a little bit more extreme in sort of the opposite philosophy of what I'd been raised with. And so that's, that's an example. Um, either one of you want to take a, a stab at this? Can you think of anything that, that brings Sam? Anything come to mind? Well, I would, I would think of these books as, uh, as yardsticks, mm -hmm. as, as something by which you measure yourself, you recognize... Um, some parts of yourself inside the characters or inside the story. And then when you come back, mm -hmm. what was familiar has totally changed. Um, and so as I'm just sitting here thinking about it, you, you know, I've, I've got the cliches in my head too. Totally. Uh, uh, Catcher in the Rye or Of Mice and Men mm -hmm. are, are books that I read as a young person, knowing them to be books I should know uh, and and not necessarily having the facility to 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 fully appreciate them and so reading them again in college and after college uh, my perspective on the characters changed I I, I was more alike um, with those characters rather than having the distance of age and circumstance um, which is really what I felt when I was a young person reading those two titles in particular. Um, but I, I think I think there is something to be said of any book that you see the title and you're like, oh, I wonder if mm -hmm. I wonder if there's something more in there that I didn't they didn't pick up that I didn't pick up the exactly. first time. And yeah. I love how you said that about yardsticks. 
it comes that question that you're asked often what you know what's your favorite book is uh, of course uh, uh, kind of a ridiculous question but i always like to say well um so what's my favorite book when i was a certain age you know and that's another kind of an age yardstick of what or or a certain time frame maybe you're out traveling and there were a set of books that were really important at that time but sort of measuring a favorite book by by your sort of life's events i think is another really good yardstick. Jesse, anything come to mind for you? No. When I get home tonight, I'll probably think of 10 okay. excellent yeah. examples. So yeah. I'll be sure and call you up late tonight with that. <laughs> but, um, I just sort of on that, there are a few authors that I have come across in life that uh, hold up to rereadings um, mm-hmm. no matter what. Patrick O'Brien's um, seafaring novels, the uh, Aubrey and Maturin series, um, is a 20 and one half book long series that I will never get tired of reading probably three times all the way through and maybe some patchy picking up a book here and there beyond that. But every time I read them, um, more humor comes through. They're Hmm. very, they're very, very funny. And I didn't catch on to that right away when Mm -hmm. I was first reading them. I was kind of laboring through all of the nautical terminology and, um, which, which note to readers, if you're ever trying to pick those books up and you're daunted by that skip, just, just skim right through all of the nautical stuff. <laughs> it'll it'll be it'll be just fine and don't get hung up on that. The story and the relationships mm. are what are important in those books. But um more more humor comes through and more um of just the delicacy of some of these long, long standing relationships comes through. Hmm. And um that's an example of an author who I feel like will probably hold up for the rest of my life. Those are my desert island books. I have to oh, t- I love 20, that. 20 of them. <laughs> that might be a question that will come down the pike. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a tough one. But, um, yeah, but actually your had... answer, I like your answer because, you know, that's the, that's the whole other side of that. What is the, what is the book that you're just going to reread forever? It's going to just be there. And you're going to reread it. You know, there definitely are books that um, I could like the Chronicles of Narnia. Those are some books I read, you know, started reading when I was six, mm-hmm. seven and have reread many times over the years. And um, I didn't see like when I was a kid, I was just so steeped in the Christian, uh, the you know, the, the Christian world that I didn't see the obvious parallels and um, uh, and uh, uh, metaphors in those books. And then, and then, you know, a few years into my teen years, I was able to look at things a little more objectively mm-hmm. was just like, Oh my, yes, <laughs> I see. <laughs> I see where this guy was coming from. I still love those books and the stories are still among my very favorites, but those are books that you definitely start to see with mm. a, a sharper focus, um, with more life experience. Yeah. World experience. Excellent. Well, my friends, you're listening to KZMU Radio Book Club. We are happy to be sitting here talking about books, books that we love, books that we evolve with. And we're going to talk a little bit about our bestseller list. Sam, this is our kind of time where we, we look at the indie bestsellers, things that are sitting right there in the middle of our store. And uh, you might want to... Just take a, yeah, just a little gander there. So this one is a, this um, indie bestseller list is a different one than I think you guys look at the store. You saw a lot of paperbacks. Mm -hmm. um, And so you've got a lot of um, 
older titles mm-hmm. and, and included in that. And yep. the one that, that I print out is the newer, uh, mostly newer hardback. Here's a yeah, question for you. Those. I meant, mm-hmm. meant to ask you the last um, the last couple of times. Yeah. Why in the world is Amanda Gorman's poem, The Hill We Climb, mm-hmm. at the top of the fiction they list, put, they put not po- nonfiction? They put poetry as fiction. They don't always. Really? I don't believe so. I've seen Devotions was there. Mary Oliver oh was, gosh, was on the fiction. Oh, my gosh. I didn't notice that. Okay. So was um, uh, Cower. Cower's book. Oh, the okay. New, Ruby new, Cower. Uh-huh, Ruby uh-huh, Cower's uh-huh. new book. Uh-huh. Gosh, I didn't notice that at yeah. all until this one. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, surely it's a mistake. It'll no, move, they've been putting the nonfiction side poetry enough, right there with fiction. So it's very interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. I'm curious um, why, why they made that choice. We'll need to ask there's our fiction bestseller friends. Maybe. There's probably <laughs> a good reason. <laughs> uh, is there anything on there that's exciting uh, you, Jesse, right now? Give you a little... <coughs> the number one hard fiction, hard fiction, hard cover fiction is *The Hill We Climb*. Mm-hmm, Amanda Gorman. Mm-hmm. Second comes in with *Claire and the Sun*. K- Katsuo Ishiguro, which mm-hmm. we we talked about last time. I also talked about Murakami last time. Um, the new hardcover nonfiction bestseller is that uh, Anthony Bourdain *World Travels*. Mm-hmm. I took a look at that. It's just little kind of vignettes uh, that come through all the places that he's traveled. And it looks like, you know, kind of a great almost coffee table book to have sitting uh, on your coffee table, as it were. Something to (laughs) dip in and out of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a few titles that I'm interested, definitely interested in reading, but I have not got to yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Of Women and Salt by Gabriel uh, Gabriela Garcia has Mm -hmm. my attention. I've been hearing great things about that. And um, additionally, where the heck did it go? Oh well, here's one I did in the the nonfiction side. I did just read "Broken in the Best Possible Way" by oh, you Jenny, did. Jenny Lawson. You yeah. did read that one. Yeah, yeah. Tell I us did. about it. I did. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. So, um, as some of you might know, she is um, she has got a very popular blog um, and has written. I think this is her third book now. The first one was called "Let's Pretend This Never Happened." And um, she is just hilarious. She's very irreverent, a little, um, um, a little bit salty language-wise, but just really <laughs> funny and relatable. She struggles with um, dep- some serious depression, and um, that's been that's made her life very difficult at times. And one of the things that we appreciate about her is that she just writes about these struggles very candidly, honestly, and openly. Um, and hilariously (laughs) (laughs) in a way that's just really relatable. And no matter what your own personal struggles might be, you will just be so glad that you're not alone. You'll just, you just really feel, she makes you just feel like it's okay to be our own broken, weird selves. Mm. And that in, in the, in our brokenness, um, is where our, our beauty lies as well. Mm. Um, anyway, most of what I love about her is that she just makes me laugh like a crazy person. <laughs> and um, <gasps> she is, yeah, she is just one of a kind. Really, really hilarious. Um, she's Her blog is called The Blogess, I think, like a play on Goddess. Um, and she's definitely worth uh, taking a look at any of her three books, uh, to, be, to be fair. Excellent. Very amusing. 
Well, you know, we have, there are a couple I was actually going to mention, but I'll wait till we kind of start to do review in the round. Uh, there, I read a couple of uh, cult-esque books this week. Mm-hmm. One called This Is Not a Cult. And then, of course, uh, on the bestseller paperback nonfiction, Leaving Isn't the Hardest Thing, essays by uh, Lauren Ho, or Huff, actually. I think it's Huff. And so I'll I'll talk about those in just a minute. But other than that, if we if we want to just jump into what's exciting you right now, why don't we head over to Sam? Why don't you give us something that's exciting you right now? Give us a Sure. Yeah. Uh well, a book that I'm looking forward to its release. Uh I don't have it here in my hands. I read it as an advanced reader copy is called The Diary of a Young Naturalist. Uh it's written by a young man named Dara McAltry, who is a Northern Irish uh, naturalist. He's a poet. He's an activist, a climate activist. Uh, and the the book is his diary from the year he turns 14. And it goes through the seasons, and it goes through the work he's doing as a conservationist, as a naturalist, as a student, as a member of his family. Um, he is an excellent writer. He, he kind of came to the fore in uh, 2017 and 2018 when he, uh, through his Twitter activism and through other online means, he, he uh, became known in the UK as a young um, environmentalist. Uh, and he has been given a well-deserved and sizable platform to share his observations about the world. He's an autistic man and he writes about his uh, perspective on life in a way that is, it's really lovely. It's really... Uh, well-connected. It's so based in the place where he is. And at the same time, he's a young teenager and uh, he's navigating all the, all the funny social things that, that come with being that age. Um, I really, really loved reading it. It comes out on May 21st of, of yeah, this month. Um, and it's, it's already received great buzz, um, for, for the simplicity with which it's written and also the, the messages it's sharing, which are, uh, crucial to be heard right now. Mm. Diary of a Young Naturalist by who again? Dara McAlty. Okay, nice. Jesse, what do you have sitting on your pile over there? I just finished a book, um, the new novel by Helen Oyeyemi. It is called Pieces. That is spelled um, like the word piece, P-E-A-C-E-S, pieces. Um, She is an author that I have really enjoyed in the past, and um, she's really, really strange. I love spending (laughs) time in this woman's mind. Um, She, a lot of her her books deal with uh, sort of fairy tale settings that she just flips on their heads and messes with tropes, and uh, really rich and vivid and descriptive and just strange um, books. my very favorite uh, is actually a book of short stories that she wrote called What is Not Yours is Not Yours. And I highly recommend that book. Um, mm. She's also written Boy, Snow, Bird, uh, Gingerbread. Um, oh, gosh, now I'm blanking out on a couple of the others. Um, but um, Pieces was indeed a strange ride. We um, <laughs> are with two, uh, two young men, they're, they're partners, um, and have accepted the offer of um, free tickets for a train ride to celebrate their unhoneymoon, their non-honeymoon honeymoon 
given by a, a favorite eccentric old aunt. Um, they go on this train ride on a former tea smuggling train. It's called The Lucky Day. This takes place in England. Um, and their adventures on this train are just increasingly odder and odder. They come aboard with their pet mongoose named Arpod <laughs> Montague the 30th. There's been a lot of um, mongooses in this family, apparently. And they meet another mongoose named Chela, actually. There are, there are strange cars. All the, all the cars are different and have um, strange themes. There's a greenhouse car, a library car a kitchen slash dining car, but there don't seem to be any other passengers really on the plane, but we do get to meet um, a virtuoso theremin player who figures. I love the theremin. Sure, sure. Of course there's a theremin in there. Um, A lot of the (laughs) chapters are stories um, by the few other people that are on the train that all center around an eccentric painter with a son who may or may not actually exist. Um, but it seems to be the reason these characters are gathered on this train. We're not really sure by whom. I can't tell you what this book is actually about um, by the end of it. It is just a strange jumbly dream, which may, <laughs> may be the point of it is um, don't try to make too much sense of life. It's all just a weird, crazy ride. Um, Although I enjoyed that ride very much, and uh, just you just kind of have to apply dream logic to it, not uh, not actual um, not actual logic. And <laughs> <laughs> not actual. I was you not know actual I, logic. Not actual logic. Dream logic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, different different type of logic. Anyway, um, once I kind of got got over trying to figure out what was going on and just kind of relaxed with the story, I I. I came away having enjoyed it a great deal. So, again, that is um, Pieces by Helen Oyeyemi. Would there be any... Oh, sorry. Hmm? Would there be any way to compare her narrative, her prose, to anybody else? I mean, does anyone come to mind if you were to compare her work to anyone else out there? Yes, I'll get back to you on that. Okay, cool. There's something tickling the back of my okay, brain. Okay, yes, I I'm love that. I'm hoping that will emerge before <laughs> we're done here. It might be a day of... of uh, de- Getting back. Delayed, yeah, delayed response. We're going to get back to me. our listeners. We're, we are now uh, just waiting for the tickle of the brain of Jesse <laughs> <laughs> to start working its way talk about to her weird, frontal lobe. Yeah, talk about weird logic. Yeah, made me kind of think of Murakami just a little bit, but, you know. That's not, yeah, that's it, not. Not that's too not, far? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even weirder. Even, even weirder, weirder, yeah, nice, nice. More, even more colorful. So I wanted to give a mention to, a f- well, actually it's out now, just barely out. It's an anthology of First Peoples poetry, living nations, living words, collected and with an introduction by the 23rd U.S. Poet Laureate, uh, Chris Joy Harjo, who's been just so busy during this, her time as a poet, which has been, uh, as the Poet Laureate, which has been wonderful for all of us to kind of see the work she's done um, during her inaugural reading as the 23rd Poet Laureate. Um, Joy said, every poem has poetry ancestors. And what's really beautiful about this collection is, you know, she's just gone and um, I love how she said this, the, the very first maps were drawn into the earth 
with stick or stone implements. They told us where we lived, the location of food, water, and danger. Some were star maps of the heavens, histories notched and painted, or symbols of stories that gave direction on how to live. The earliest indigenous maps of North America were not drawn. The placement and orientation of a village, its buildings, and even mound structures were markers that mirrored the meaning of the heavens or other directional senses. Even a basket could be a map or a song. We carry maps of destiny in our poems. So she's, and what's really beautiful about this collection, she's gone and um, collected, literally, is she's, she's given us a picture of every poet, um, and really every poet ancestor, I'd almost say it that way, um, in this book. And it, there's a lot of uh, native language that comes through these poems and a lot of, you know, just beautiful, they, they really kind of move out of the traditional form. And so I would highly recommend coming and finding this copy, Living Nations, Living Words, an anthology of First Peoples poetry, of course, coming through the direction of Joy Harjo. We've got lots of great stuff by Joy right now. Sam, what's what's exciting you on your end on the second round here? Well, uh, that excellent review. I'm I'm excited to spend some time with that mm -hmm. book of poetry. It's it's got me thinking of the DNA reader, which I don't have mm. here uh, mm. with me yes. today. But it's a, a vital new uh, compendium of Navajo voices, um, and it's uh, edited by Esther Berlin. Um, and a few other folks, um, and it features uh, some 20 or so Navajo uh, poets and authors um, with excellent little bios about each of them um, from their from their homes, mostly in the Four Corners region. Um, and I've I've been spending time with the book and reading one of the writers each day. Uh, and, and I'm, you know, it's one of those realizations of how few of the names in the, uh, index I'm familiar with and how that's, that's something I'm working to change because that is very much the poetry of the place where I live. And it's, it's, um, it's a subject I need to, need to read more on. So that's and who edited that doing. collection. Esther Berlin. Oh yes, that's right. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting, there's lots of interesting collections, especially poetry collections happening right now. There are. Um, a trans collection just came out, and I'm not going to be able to remember all the editors, but uh, even sci-fi, you know, black sci-fi writers, I mean, it's just kind of, they're just bubbling up, and yeah. it's really exciting uh, to see what's, what's on right out there, what's fresh coming out right now as far as those collections are concerned. Uh, so... Jesse, what are you moving through over there? Is your, how's your tickle? Uh, it, it's still tickling. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> last month when we were here in the studio for Radio Book Club, um, as is usual, we all have piles of books. Uh, we only get to we only get to the top three or so usually. In Andy's pile, I noticed a title that piqued my curiosity. It was called "The Madman's Library." Um, by Edward Brook Hitching, and so I bought a copy for the library, um, and boy, am I glad I did. This is such a fascinating book. It is basically 
a book about the weirdest books that ever <laughs> existed. Um, it's it's the the subtitle is the strangest books, manuscripts, and other literary curiosities from hi from history. So it, this is so so fascinating. I could spend weeks uh, scrolling through, <laughs> paging through this. It's um, broken up into chapters. We've got books that kill. We've got uh, books that are not actually books. We've got books that are made out of things you probably shouldn't make books out of. <laughs> like skin. Yeah. 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 We've got, um, we've got a, 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 a copy of the Quran uh, written in Saddam Hussein's blood purportedly wow. mentioned. And of course, um, early on is mentioned the Voynich manuscript. Have either of, are either of you guys familiar with that? That's one of my favorite um, book mysteries. Um, anyway, there, this, this is just full of amazing photographs and um, and reproductions of some of the strangest books you'll ever you'll ever come across. Ancient Japan, all over the world. Um, there's uh. a quite a bit on on satanic books and demon like really strange demonology like there's any other kind of demonology, but <laughs> <laughs> um, really ancient old interesting looking at looking attempts at typewriters um hmm. books that are supernatural here's a here's a robe um <laughs> a talismanic shirt from the early 16th century with the entire quran written inside bordered by the 99 names of god shirt was believed to be imbued with protective powers likely was worn under armor in battle mm. um anyway i uh, i am having a ton of fun looking through this um, book called The Madman's Library. You know, that makes me yeah. think of uh, the little Buddhist relics in the bone, the mm -hmm. cremated bones, mm -hmm. and they'll mm -hmm. inscribe sutras or different things on there, yeah. you know, different kind of um, Buddhist texts, and just the teeniest little thing, and they're writing, you know, on there. I don't know how they do that, but... <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm sure that I'm, that is likely, um, that <laughs> in likely mentioned in here. Yeah, it is just it is just so cool. So it's called the Madman's Library. The Madman's Library. Yes, yes. by Edward Brooke Hitching. And I have to say, the guy, this guy that compiled this and wrote it, um, wrote about it, has a pretty good sense of humor. He's got a very playful way with language and uh, inserts lots of funny little asides and uh, quips. <laughs> so it's not. <laughs> Not to dry. Oh, and here's my favorite. Here's one of my favorite guys, uh, Kit Williams. Do you guys remember the book Masquerade from the eight, early 80s? No. Ah, oh, this is so interesting. Okay, well. I um, love it. It is definitely uh, an, a book that will captivate, captivate your attention if you take a look. The library has a copy, and cool. I'll bet the bookstore does, too. Yes, I remember when that one uh, mm -hmm. was, uh, I think it was a ref was telling me about that one. Mm. So do either one of you get a lot of pleasure from touching <laughs> old books? That sounded <laughs> so erotic. <laughs> well, that, that's been a, a, a fun experience of working at Back of Beyond. Uh -huh. um, we get folks in who are so curious to hold. Either yes. we've got these tiny collectible books yep. or these large old manuscripts. Um, and folks will come in and they're just like, can you open this cabinet? I just want to smell them. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think they are powerful objects. Yeah. And, and for people to have a moment of 
touching history, even mm-hmm. if it's you know just a, a, a signature of an author that you really admire, and seeing that in the flesh can be a really powerful experience. Or holding a book that is three times, four times, five times as old as you are, yeah, uh, having having that through line through history, yeah, is intoxicating. It is intoxicating. I I was I spent some time in the Rodin uh, archives in Paris, and uh, Rodin wrote well wrote letters with Rilke, the poet Rilke, and so I, I may, might have mentioned this, but I got to read one of Rilke's letters to Rodin that were in the archives. They just pulled it out, and I was sitting there, and there were all these coffee stains mm. on the letter, you know, and it was almost like that was more exciting somehow mm-hmm. <laughs> to just touch the coffee stains. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, somehow there was, I just touched the coffee that Rilke drank. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. That was intoxicating. Yeah. I will say that. Energizing. Does that, yeah. does that rock your world at all, Jesse? Oh, yeah. Does it? Oh, yeah. of course. Um, I, uh, I have read books on an e-reader before and, and do once in a while, but just the pleasure of holding yes. a physical book in my hands at all of any type, of any sort, um, there's just something really, really uh, tactile that, I mean, it's almost like the depth, like, like not as much depth can be transmitted through an electronic device right. as with paper, if, no matter what, you know, what it is that you're reading. Um, and I have old, I have some old, old books at home that belong to grandparents and great grandparents in the past. And they really are lovely to take down off the shelf and just and hold. caress them, hold uh, them yeah. a little bit. And, um, <laughs> with chocolate, and wine, or what did we say oh, last yeah, time? Like coffee, chocolate, coffee, wine, chocolate, or wine. Three, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the three best companions. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that might be why e-readers didn't do as well. I mean, they're, they do, they've done semi well. They're exactly, yeah. but they didn't do as well. You know, we thought in the industry that they were just going to take over. It's, it's interesting. Um, let's see. I think it's kind of come back my way as far as telling everyone where we are about 45 mon- minutes into KZMU Book Club. And I wanted to, we recently made contact, or at least she made contact with us. Uh, the author's name is Catherine Standifer, and she's just come out with a debut memoir called Lightning Flowers. I just love that title. My Journey to Uncover the Cost of Saving a Life. And this is this is um, just out, and I haven't actually read it yet, but I'm really looking forward to reading it. Um, Terry Tempest, our beloved local Terry Tempest, calls it a riveting debut but I do want to just read a little bit on the, f- the front cover um, so folks out there will get a sense for what's actually going on here. What if a life-saving medical device causes loss of life along its supply chain? That's the question Catherine Standifer finds herself asked after being shocked by her implanted cardiac defibrillator for the first time. In this intimate memoir about the way illness changes a person and the global reverberations of the American medical system, Standifer recounts the story of the rare diagnosis that upended her life in the mountains of Wyoming and sent her tumbling, uninsured, into a maze of cardiology units, dramatic surgeries, and slow, painful recoveries. And the very first um, 
paragraph is is actually quite amazing. She basically says this in the prologue. Prologue, Tucson, Arizona, 2012. Nothing can prepare you for what it feels like to be shocked by an implanted cardioverter defibrillator like a badly spliced film reel. My memory of the night is fractured. In one instance, a player on the other intramural soccer team had fallen and the game stopped. He was getting up, brushing his thighs. In the next, my hands became claws. A maul cracked, opened my chest with a sickening thump. A hot whip tearing through my back. Did someone kick me in the spine? And then I knew, and I was screaming. But, the, you know, this is this kind of, um, this device that is going to save her life. And she goes back and traces it back as, uh, you know, something that is made with real ingredients, I guess you'd say that. And, and how this, uh, you, you how this came to be made and how it um, weaved through the story of her own illness. It looks amazing. She looks quite young, actually. And she lives in New Mexico. And again, like I said, debut memoir, getting a lot of buzz, Lightning Flowers, Catherine Standifer. And we're hoping, at least we've kind of put the word out there that we might get her as an interview on the radio show but we'll see if that happens we know for sure she might come and actually sign some books so we'll keep you all posted yeah. I'm, I'm hoping sam will talk about detransition baby yes. by tori peters yes. i've been really curious about that i'd be glad to uh yep detransition baby is a, a new novel by tori peters uh who's uh it, it's an excellent novel and it is about a um a group of three people. Uh, their relationships are somewhat convoluted, but here goes. Uh, the main character, Reese, is a young trans woman. There's Ames, who is a, a, a cis man who lived life as a transgender woman for a short time, and then he detransitioned uh, back to a man. And then there is his girlfriend, who is a straight cis woman, um, an executive type uh, who is pregnant. It's all a bit of a surprise because Ames was on um, uh, hormone blocking therapy for a long time and thought that he could not have kids. Uh, turns out by this surprise that he is able to. And this book is about what happens when they decide to raise a child together, all three of them, in a uh, very trans, very lovely, and very... Um, quickly evolving household. Wow. Um, it's it's a remarkable book, and I just I want to read the, uh, the. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> this is this is the dedication that Tori Peters, the author, uh, starts the book with, and she dedicates "Detransition Baby" to divorced cis women who, like me, had to face starting their life over without either reinvesting in the illusions from the past or growing bitter about the future. And I, I just think that is the canniest, the canniest dedication, um, finding a way to uh, reach, reach across these uh, gender identifiers that, that are, um, that, that can sometimes really send people apart. And, and saying that, you know, uh, many of us have come to a place in our life where our old systems aren't working, 
Uh, we aren't happy with who we are, and we have to learn how to live anew and uh, be more true to ourselves uh, while not not being regretful of who we've been in the past. Um, I'm really looking forward to what else we see out of Tori Peters. Um, this is a trans novel in the way that uh, Notes on a Native Son is a black novel, uh, that uh, black book that that this is it it, it introduces an entire vocabulary. Um, an entire uh, community that haven't shown up in novels before. I saw a great meme of a guy who, uh, it's a screenshot of text uh, text from his dad. His dad is reading Detransition D- Baby, and it's just all the words that he doesn't know. Uh, and, and I think that is, that is a huge credit to Tori Peters. She's introducing uh, these vocabulary pieces that might only be familiar to to queer communities or trans communities and not, not mm-hmm. feeling obligated to explain them at mm-hmm. all, uh, which is the sort of novel I want to read. Yep. And that lang I love that, the language. And also that there's unexpected um, friends, you know, cis, cis divorced women. Yeah. <laughs> unexpected across the aisle friends. Cool. Well, let's go, Jesse. We have, we are definitely rolling through. We're going to do like a lightning round here. Uh, go ahead and, pick one and i want you to talk about oak flat as well so mm-hmm. let's go jesse and and okay. then we'll go back to sam so i picked up a book uh recently that was published in 1949 by Dodie smith mm. and um it is called i capture the castle and she is Dodie smith is famous for having written 101 dalmatians mm-hmm. weirdly this book is um uh nothing like that although i haven't actually read that one this is um, the story of this extremely poor family living in a falling down, moldering castle in uh, Surrey, uh, England. Uh, Dad was a no- famous novelist for a minute, but hasn't written anything since. They have zero income. Two teenage daughters. Um, it's Cassandra, the 17-year-old, that is writing this book, and it is so 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 well written and and quite quite funny uh aside from funny stories just the way just her voice um and uh her point of view um is just really delightful this is exactly my kind of book um I would love to read you a paragraph about uh, how shocking American women are <laughs> please people. do but uh okay I'll Go be ahead. really quick you so, do it um, you do it Do they all talk as much as that, I asked? (laughs) No, of course not, but she happens to belong to a type I frequently met. It goes to lectures and entertains afterwards. (laughs) Sometimes they put one up for the night. They're extraordinarily hospitable. Amazing their energy, he went on. They're perfectly capable of having three or four children, running a house, keeping abreast of art, literature, and music, superficially, of course, but good Lord, that's something, (laughs) and holding down a job into the bargain. (laughs) Some of them get through two or three husbands as well, just to avoid stagnation. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Anyways, that's just a little snippet that cracked me up as I was reading the other day. So I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. It's still in print, thank goodness. I'm uh, just reading that it's uh, one of the UK's uh, 100 best love novels. Oh, I yeah. Voted. I am not surprised. I, I read that one years ago. No uh-huh. kidding. Yeah. No, I just, just had, yeah. had never heard anything about it until mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. Cool. Oh, yeah. Um, Loved it. I am just absolutely delighted. I um, Yeah. Thanks for indulging me. Yes, of course. 
Uh, Sam, give us a little rundown on Oak Flat, and yeah. then I think we'll kind of start wrapping up. Sure. It seems like the theme of this hour has been books as precious objects mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. the division between uh, how how a book, the, the experience of reading it and the portals that it allows you to access into the stories um, mm-hmm. that are are held within. Um, and this book, Oak Flat, and the subtitle is A Fight for Sacred Land in the American West. It's very much that. It's uh, written by the author Lauren Redness, who has become known as um, a graphic nonfiction journalist. Uh, she's written a few excellent biographies, and this is one that is reporting on present land issues in the American West. Uh, it takes place in central Arizona in a small town of Superior, which has been uh, extractively mined over the course of the last century, more than the last century. And uh, there's an enormous uh, copper deposit that lies between five and 7,000 feet underground uh, in this Apache sacred site. And uh, this book does an amazing job of interviewing the white folks who are there, uh, the indigenous folks who are there, the places that they agree and what they disagree on to. Um, the national conversation that's happening around what designates a sacred space. We're certainly in the midst of that here in southeastern Utah um, and and what is deserving of protection. But it is such a beautiful book to read. It's laid out in such a way that uh, you come upon these pages and pages of illustration that that deepen and um, make make the reading of it so much uh, more exciting, but the but the reporting itself is excellent. There's there's a ton of verbatim quotes in there, um, and this book is uh, on the short list for reading the West nonfiction, um, and it's it's required re- reading I say for anyone who lives in the American Southwest and is interested in indigenous and uh, conservation issues. In and these really parts. incredible how much um, how many genres really are in there. It's Indeed. poetic, you know, yeah. there's, but it's, it's astute journalism. Yeah. And at the same time, this, this, you know, it, it's beautiful pictures, you know, I mean, yeah. the, the illustration's incredible. Um, shout out to one of our local uh, artists, Sam Zim, who actually is, I was telling her about Oak Flat uh, because she's such a, a really good, you know, she, illustrator. And and she's got a lot to say, too. And I was like, come see Oak Flat. Get a sense for, you know, how she's doing that. Because that's not easy to bring your pictures and such good journalism together. Right. right. So that's a new, that, like, like that's an emerging genre yeah. nice. right there, yeah. you know. Um, okay, my friends, we have, we're going to have to start wrapping up here. Thanks all for joining us, and thank you to all of our listeners out there. Hopefully we didn't confuse you too much with all of our titles. (laughs) But, of course, uh, you can find any one of these books listed not only, uh, actually, uh, on quite a few different places, uh, on the library website, also on Back of Beyond. We actually post them on bookshop.org and just find Back of Beyond there. And then two weeks two-week archive immediately available kzmu.org program tab program schedule and then forever archive kzmu.org news public affairs tab and then radio book club and then find us out there in the podcast world thanks jesse and sam it was a pleasure
Indeed. Thank you, Sherry. Sam, it's great to have you this time. Thanks. Nice to share our reading. Yeah.